0: privilege and honor, I'm really grateful to be able to kick off this new semester talking about one of my favorite subjects, the local church, um, and specifically asking and answering the question why we should be involved and invested in the local church. Um, I it, My story starts when I was in high school and um, our family didn't go to church, we weren't in. A part of uh, the church in any way shape or form and so i'm shooting baskets behind a church uh, down the road from where i lived and out steps a young man named ricky who invites me to play basketball on the church league basketball team and so i accepted the invitation but in order to play on that team guess what you had to do you had to go to church in order to play you had to pray and so i went to church for the first time in my life i met incredible people, amazing people, some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life and they changed me. And I heard the gospel for the first time and it didn't take long for me to respond to the gospel to give my life to the Lord. And so uh, the local church and basketball changed my life, saved my life. So I'm happy to talk about why we should be involved and invested in the local church. The summer after my seventh grade year, my parents got the bright idea to move from the house where we lived for about four years on an Air Force base, and I loved living on that Air Force base. Just kind of imagine all of your closest friends were a bike ride away. That's what it was like living on an Air Force base. You had a bowling alley, you had a movie theater, two pools, a bike ride away. I loved it. Not only did I love all of those things that an Air Force base afforded, but I loved the school that I attended, Woodland Park School. I knew everybody, and everybody knew me. And then my parents told me, summer after my seventh grade year, which is a difficult time to be alive, that we were moving (laughs) off of the Air Force base into civilian housing, public housing, which meant the biggest consequence of all, I would have to change schools and go to the big, bad, public Myrtle Beach Junior High School. It in my mind, it was a horrendous place. Like I imagined gangs everywhere. I, I imagined my life was going to be threatened by attending this school. I didn't know anybody. And more than anything else, I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to belong. And it was a rough start. That fall, I was raking leaves with my sisters. My Middle sister, my younger middle sister, who's a a, a feisty one, uh, became angry with me for good reason, I'm sure. I'm sure I was agitating her, picking on her. And so she decided to lift up her metal rake and hit me with it. (laughs) The metal prong caught in my upper lip, ripped the skin out. I had to go to the hospital, get four stitches, very obviously clearly visible on my upper lip. The next day, the students called me, Damien. Stitcherite, which, it's not funny. It's not funny. It was embarrassing. Very embarrassing. But at least they knew my name. All of us have a longing within us to belong, to be a part of something significant. Do you remember those days when you were in elementary school, middle school, even high school, maybe here at college, just wanting to fit in, just wanting? belong. In fact, how many of you right now could tell a story of saying something, doing something, wearing something that you regret just because you wanted to fit in? So I saw this video of a teacher, uh, you can go ahead and play that, who was on the playground, filming students, doing the dab. Each of them have their own style, their own interpretation. I mean, kids really got it down, all except... Just kind of wait for it here. This poor kid. Oh, there he is. I'm telling you, that that kid is me right there, right? Still is me. He just wanted to fit in. He just wanted to belong, and so do I, and so do you. And so this semester, as we talk about the church, I think we need to start off by recognizing that there is an innate desire within each and every one of us to live in genuine, authentic community. It's a part of what it means to be created in the image of God, God who exists in community. One God in three persons. Our God is a relational God. So it's no surprise that in order for us to grow as disciples, in order for us to make disciples, living in community, being involved and invested in the local church is an essential part of that equation. The apostles, very early on, recognized this. In Acts chapter two, after 3,000 souls were added to their number, what do we see them doing? In Acts chapter two, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, first and foremost, and they devoted themselves, secondly, to fellowship, to koinonia, All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Every day they met together. They broke broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And as a result of their genuine, authentic, generous, joy-filled community, the Lord was adding daily to those who were being saved. So when it comes to this idea, though, of being involved and invested in the local church, I know that sometimes it's hard to get there, right? Um, I, I get this as a father of four children, especially when, we, when they were young. Sometimes it was hard to get out the door and get to church. And so I came across this article in the Babylon Bee. How many of you are familiar with the Babylon Bee? You know, it's this kind of Chad Ragsdalian, satirical thing. It's kind of like Christian fake news. And so here's the, the article. is amazing. Family gets ready for church in just 14 hours. Garrison family was able to get ready for church, the article reads, and into their minivan in a record 14 hours Sunday morning, afternoon, and evening. Sources close to the church-going family of six confirmed, with most of the family arising with a full five minutes to spare before the sermon started, the garrisons took only four hours to shower, three hours to pick out their outfits, and seven hours to find their shoes before jumping in the van and leaving for church. It concludes, at publishing time, the garrisons had turned around upon realizing they had left their Bibles and their two-year-old daughter at home. And you may have your own challenges getting to church. Maybe you have a hard time, have had a hard time finding a church home here in the the Joplin community. Or maybe you're not a morning person. How many of you are not morning people? And it's hard to get out of bed on your day off, especially when it's cold and rainy. Or maybe you have transportation challenges. And I don't want to make light of any of those obstacles or challenges that may keep you from being involved and invested in the local church. But I'm guessing that whatever obstacles we face pale in comparison to the obstacles and the challenges faced by the first century disciples who were daily confronted with the threat of persecution and slander. And yet, in the face of those obstacles, the author of Hebrews reminds them and us to, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds and to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but instead to encourage one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. I think the point is very clear. Being involved and invested in the local church, gathering together on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, is an essential part of our life as disciples. But technically, and you know this already, we don't go to church. We are the church, right? And you hear the difference in that. We don't go to church. We are the church. Maybe a more accurate way to say it is like this. As disciples who are committed to growing and maturing as disciples and who are committed to making disciples, we gather together regularly as the church. So, what I want to focus on this morning is the last part of that statement as the church. I want to talk about who we are as the church, our identity as the church. As it's been said, the more we tell people who they are, the less we will have to tell them what to do. So who are we as the church? It's like whenever our kids leave the house to go to school or to hang out with friends or to stay the night or go on a trip, we will often say to them, be a good spickerite. Be a good spickerite. Because we want them to remember who they are because identity leads to activity. Who we are will result in what we do. So who are we? Well, I wanna answer that question by looking at the book of Ephesians because Paul tells us who we are as the church. For example, in Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23, Paul tells us, reminds us that we are the body of Christ. Go ahead and look at your neighbor right now and say, we are the body of Christ. So here's what Paul says about us. Paul writes, God placed all things under his feet, And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, the body of Christ. Paul will use this metaphor a number of times in the New Testament, perhaps most extensively in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's talking about spiritual gifts that we all possess as Christians, gifts that we're to use in the context of love to build one another up, to encourage, to share the gospel with others. In that context, Paul writes, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 14, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, How would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part, and I like this part here, just where he wants it. Just where he wants it. When you serve in the context of the local church as the body of Christ, as his hands and feet, when you give, when you help, when you encourage, when you build others up, when you pray, in those moments, the fullness of God is filling us up as we serve others as the body of Christ. So I'm guessing, as we've already indicated in this uh, service so far, that there's no shortage of Chick-fil-A fans here. Am I right? Big Chick-fil-A fans. So here's my first, my first prop. My Chick-fil-A bag here. Uh, we love Chick-fil-A in our family. My mentor group, shout out to them. Often goes to Chick-fil-A. My son works at Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A is known for many things, right? Known for their amazing chicken, their amazing Service, and of course, they're also known for being closed on Sundays. Yeah, something we all respect and regret at the very same time. Well, I read the story of a Chick fil A in Alabama that decided to open its doors on a Sunday. Yeah, they did it for a 14 year old boy with special needs named Elijah. He was born 18 weeks premature, he has autism and cerebral palsy, and his lifelong dream was to work in the drive through of a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And so on a January Sunday, the owner opened up the drive through and Elijah served 40 of his closest friends and family members as they drove through in their cars. This is what his mom said about the experience. She said, this is so special to us. Elijah's not going to graduate like other kids. He's not going to get married or have children. So this is just a really cool experience to us for him to have this level of attention. It's neat for people to recognize that he's a really cool kid. The community needs to realize this is a special population of kids. They do have special needs, but they have so much to offer. I want you to be convinced this semester that you have so much to offer others in service. As the hands and feet of Christ, he wants to use each and every one of you in your respective communities to bless others in the name of Jesus. So don't just go to church, be the church. Be the body of Christ. Secondly, Paul tells us in chapter two that we are his masterpiece. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say that to them. We are his masterpiece. Here's what Paul says about us in chapter two, verses eight through 10. Paul writes, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. And some translations say we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Another word there for handiwork or masterpiece is the Greek word poema it's where we get the word poem from Paul is saying that we are his poem we are his work of art this takes us back i believe to creation when god created the heavens on the earth through days 1 through 5 and he called it good but on day 6 he created man in his own image and he called it very good but when we sinned that masterpiece that work of art was broken, was shattered, but now in Christ, by grace, through faith, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we are restored and renewed. This is the gospel. And now, because of him, we are his masterpiece. Now, as parents over the years, my wife and I have received some beautiful works of art from our children, uh, I came across these pictures. These pictures were not given to us by our children, but they reminded me of the works of art we have received. Here's the first one. This, these kind of reveal a little too much. This is what mom looks like in the morning. This is what mom looks like when she's going out. <laughs> Here's another one. This is my mother. This is what she does all day. Watches Ellen. <laughs> all right. I appreciate this one. World's greatest farter, I mean father. That's a a good one. So I do have a couple works of art given to me by my kids. Uh, Here is a painting of Starry Night drawn by my daughter. I'm not sure which way it goes. But I think, yes? But it's beautiful. All right. And then if you go in my office, you will see uh, on top of one of my bookshelves these... Bookends made by my son. There's a duck on one, and I don't know, on the other. A pheasant, perhaps? Yes. So people come in my office and they'll see these bookends and they'll say, Oh, Damien, I didn't know you were a duck hunter. And I'll say, I am not. (laughs) I am not a duck hunter. But on that day, on that day, it was my son's work of art, it was his masterpiece. In Christ, we are his bookends. We are his starry night. We are his handiwork. And when we gather together in unity as the body of Christ, the world takes note of this beautiful work of art, flawed as it may be, called the church. And they are drawn to it. We are the body of Christ. We are his masterpiece. The more we know who we are as the church, the more we will know what to do. Lastly, Paul reminds us, and I like this one, that we are his dwelling place. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, we are his dwelling place. Here's what Paul writes at the end of chapter two about us. He says, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become, and here's our image, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul says, we are his dwelling place. The word that he uses here is not referring to a temporary residence, it's a compound word. The word is made up of two parts. The word oikos, which is the Greek word for house, and the prefix kata, which means down. And so the image that's being painted here is actually an expression that we use in everyday life. It's the the phrase to settle down. It's not camping in a tent, It's not an Airbnb, it's not a hotel room, it's buying a new house, moving all your stuff in, your family in, your dogs in, and establishing a permanent residence, which is exactly what our family did over the Christmas break. Our family bought a new house and we packed up our boxes. Here's one of the boxes that we packed in our new house and there were seemingly thousands of boxes filled with stuff and friends and family members came over and unloaded these boxes in our house, and then they left. They just left them all for us. But on that first night, with hundreds of boxes in our house, we settled down. We made that home our permanent residence. As the church, as his people, we are his dwelling place. He no longer settles down in a tabernacle or a temple or a building like this. He settles down in you and me, in his people, diverse, unified, centered on Christ, saved by the gospel. Those who are far from God and those who are near to God become his one dwelling place. And as a result of us being the body of Christ, as a result of us being a masterpiece, as a result of us being the dwelling place of God, not only do we grow and mature as disciples of Jesus, but others will be drawn in as well. And I'll finish with this. Maybe that's why the church is often in the New Testament referred to as the bride of Christ. This past weekend, I officiated a wedding in Central California, it was beautiful. And we're there uh, at this resort, beautiful location, beautiful surroundings. But I'm telling you, when that bride appeared, all attention, all eyes were drawn upon her. I remember when my friend Brent got married later in life. He and his wife, Heather, worked at a senior citizen retirement village when they met. So they decided to get married at a church right next to the retirement home so that all of the residents could attend the ceremony. It was a trip, let me tell you. I was a groomsman and an usher, which as an usher, basically my job was to park all of the walkers in the back of the church and escort the young ladies in their 80s and 90s to their seats. For them, it was a royal wedding. It might as well have been Prince Harry and Princess Meghan getting married that day, they were all in on it. There was one man, gentleman, probably in his 90s, who had hearing aids in both ears that were adjusted incorrectly so that when he spoke, everybody heard him. I mean, he yelled everything that he said. Every word that he spoke could be heard over the crowd. And so there came that moment in the ceremony when the bride appeared. You could hear him. In the middle of the audience, out loud, you could hear him over everything. As she's walking down the center aisle, he's saying out loud, wow, oh, wow, look at her. Just look at her. She's so beautiful. Look at her. Wow. The whole time. when we are involved and invested in the local church, the world will take note of our unity and diversity. The world will take note of our service and our love and our compassion and our imperfections that are being rooted out in Christ. The world will take note and the Lord will add daily those who are being saved as a result. We are the body of Christ. We are his masterpiece. We are his dwelling place. And so this semester, as we talk about the beauty of the church and our involvement in it, I hope that you will spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I hope you will not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but that you will encourage one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Why? Because that's who we are. And the more we know who we are as the church, the more we will know what to do.